Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm a host for the first hour, and today is Monday, November 27th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships. And to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, please do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone, or... You can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if you email us a comment or question or testimonial, we will address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notice about what day and time it was addressed so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And if you let us know how this is landing for you and or what would be of more benefit, it's just very much, much easier for us to accomplish our intention. So it has been a weekend. It has been in our process on the Internet show here. We've been working through the way of mastery. And we have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers, testimonials, or we can get right back into reading in the review of Lesson 3, which is, to my uh, experience, a pivotal kind of a cornerstone of this work. And the way of mastery since uh, well I don't even remember how many years ago I was introduced to the book but whenever I first got introduced to it it just seemed to sing to my soul. And the cornerstone of this work, and, and one of the reasons that I began sharing it on this Internet show, is that the definition they, they give for forgiveness in this work is the same as the definition that Dr. Michael Rice has found in the Kaboris manuscript and the script and the work that his translators did or the translators did he was the uh, director of that foundation working to translate the inch the most the oldest known copy of the New Testament directly from the ancient Aramaic into English and that team of translators came up with the word shebag as the word that had been translated into various languages and eventually into English as forgive. And what that word meant was to cancel or dismantle or drop. And so... The root of the word forgiveness was not about letting somebody else off the hook, but it was about dismantling or canceling or dropping what was false. And that's exactly what we've been reading here in the Way of Mastery in the third lesson, where it says to forgive means to choose to release another person from the projections and perceptions you have been projecting upon them. It is, therefore, the act of dismantling your own false perceptions. And that's the root 
of everything in this work. As I dismantle what's false within my experience or perception or my belief system, I get more and more direct access to the truth, truth of life, the flow of life, whatever you might want to call it. And because that definition rings true to what Michael Rice found in the Kaborish manuscript, and he also found it in A Course in Miracles, I felt comfortable bringing the way of mastery into the Mind Shifters support groups and eventually, because it got such a positive reaction there into the Mind Shifters radio show. So we've already read through Lesson 3, and on Friday we were beginning a review. And where we left off is right where I just picked up here. The idea that to forgive means to choose to release another person or the world itself from the perceptions you have been creating and then projecting upon them. It is therefore forgiveness is an act of dismantling one's projections. And as you begin to dismantle your projections, even 70 times, 7 times, each time you do that process, you get rid of the veils, you get rid of the distortions, you get rid of the blockages to seeing the truth of life as it is. And when you get rid of the blockages, you're left in direct relationship to the flow of life. You get you get an experience you can't have if you stay in the intellect or in the five senses or in judgment. And judgment, as they say in, in part of what we've already read, is the opposite of forgiveness. When you judge, you get tight, you get tense, you change the actual functioning of the very cellular structure in your body. You put blockages in the way of seeing the truth of your friends, your family, your anybody you've ever had what you think is a relationship with. Most of the time you've only ever had a relationship with your thoughts about them or your beliefs about them. So the more you use a process like forgiveness to dismantle your judgments and perceptions and distortions, the more you begin to see how profoundly you've been coloring and therefore affecting all of your relationships through the simple act of not being aware of the power of projection. And what it talks about here is that denial at any level, instantly causes projection. So when I deny the first axiom that I'm the one who chooses what I experience, 
in the moment that I step into the denial of my creative force, my mind will show me how someone or something outside of me is causing me to feel the stuff I don't want to feel. The projection happens instantaneously. So back to the the text, it says, Therefore I learned, and learned well, that forgiveness as a process of dismantling my false perceptions is an essential key to healing. The opposite of forgiveness is judgment, and judgment always creates separation and guilt. Judgment will evoke a sense of guilt in the one that has been judged unless that person is perfectly awake. But let's stay closer to home. More than this, every time I judge anyone or anything, I have literally elicited guilt within myself. Because there is a part of me that knows the perfect purity of the brothers and sisters that I see around me. And it sees quite clearly that all things within the human realm are either the the direct, clear extension of love or a cry for help and healing. So I have this conflict going in me whenever I judge anyone around me because deep in my core, deep in my capital S self, my higher self, is the awareness that everyone is as pure and innocent as I am at my core. That we're all barks of the one mind. That we are all consciousness looking back on itself. So within me, when I generate a judgment, when I generate a perception, which leads to a judgment, it's clashing with another part of me that knows there's nothing here to judge. There's nothing bad or wrong in my brother or sister. They're here just as I am with the opportunity to watch the flow of life and enjoy it and have gratitude for the ability to be here and to see and do and experience things. And they're either in that flow of direct observation and experience or they've either temporarily forgotten or yet to discover that brilliance, that light, that awareness of their true nature. And whatever they're putting out can easily be seen as a call for help, a cry for help and healing. So again, the choice is mine. I get to choose, and as I choose, I experience. I say, in a more verbose way, from as I distilled it from this work, you have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. And 
it's the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment that is actually creating your experience of life in that moment. Now, Guy Finley, as a wordsmith that he is, takes that and boils it down to the simple statement, as goes my attention, so comes my experience. So what this is saying is, when I have in me, at the depth of my consciousness, the awareness that we're all in this together and that every other person I see is a spark of the consciousness, the one consciousness, the one mind. Then on top of that, if I create a judgment, if I let the intellect come in and tell me they're bad, they're wrong, they don't deserve to live, etc., it creates a tension and a conflict in me because I've moved out of alignment with what's true. And the text goes on and says, when you judge, you have moved out of alignment with what is true. You have decreed that the innocent are not innocent. And if you would judge another as being without innocence, you have already declared that that is true about you, since we're all the same. Therefore, to practice forgiveness actually cultivates this quality of consciousness in which you finally come to forgive yourself. In other words, you remove all of the veils or the distortions or the judgments about yourself and you get to see directly who you are, what you are. And the last line in that paragraph reads, and it is indeed the forgiven who remember their God, which means you see and feel and experience in the depth of your being that you were never separated from your creator. And you remember that, and you have that direct awareness. But you only do that after you've removed every false belief every perception that clouds your direct experience of the flow of life, every negative judgment about yourself or anyone else. The text goes on and reads, We wish to share with you the power of forgiveness. How to cultivate it, how to refine it, how to understand the depths of it that can be revealed to you as you continuously forgive 70 times, 7 times, and how to bring up within you that which has not yet been forgiven, but perhaps forgotten. In this lesson, we will also speak of what perception is and what projection is. Now, this is the second or third time it's mentioned 70 times, 7 times. And... Michael Rice would say, the ancient Aramaic says 77 times 70. But the point is, the number 7 is a number that represents completion. And in that kind of work where people gave these different meanings to numbers, if you added a 0 to a number, it meant infinity. So the statement that's being made is 
we must do this process of removing our false perceptions an infinite number of times until it's complete. There is no getting away from this process. This energy of forgiveness, this energy of seeing through the veils, this energy of releasing judgments is a wonderful energy to live in. Moment to moment, all throughout the day. The text goes on and reads, Beloved friends, these things are of critical importance. For anyone who enters into the so-called spiritual path, they must eventually face and deal with their deep need to remove their false perceptions, their need for forgiveness, because this is an expression of their soul's deep desire to be forgiven. In other words, to have all the veils removed so the soul can be seen and experienced directly as it is, without the distortions, without the judgments, without the negativity. For there is one and there is no one who walks this earth who has not been touched by the poison of judgment. So in this work, they're clearly saying judgment is a poison. Now, just take a minute, take a breath and soften and just think about how this clashes with, if you were raised, especially in the Western culture, how this clashes with everything you've ever been taught about assessment and judgment and comparison and grading and who's the number one team and who's the number one performer and who's the greatest of all time and all of this stuff woven through our culture constantly has us pursuing judgment. This work says judgment is a poison. Judgment is the opposite of love. It's the opposite of forgiveness. It's the opposite of allowing surrendering and going with the flow of life so right after it says there's no one who walks the earth who's not been touched by the poison of judgment the next statement is please as we speak of these things let not seriousness enter the mind well what do you mean how can you talk about judgment as a poison and then say don't take it seriously It goes on and says, for in truth, all we're doing is describing what you can do, what you need to do and can do, it's within your power, to release the burden of illusion, which you've created, but it seems to cause a heaviness upon your countenance and a sense of a lack of safety in the world. You're perfectly safe. There is no separation. It's an illusion. There's no reason to panic. There's no reason to judge. If you step into the awareness of this process and start using it for yourself, you could think of it as taking your rheostat and turning it up a bit by enlightening you. Because in that process, it takes your burden of guilt and judgment from you. 
Judgment is a burden. Judgment is a poison. Therefore, in truth, the text goes on, understand this well. Forgiveness is essential. What has not been forgiven in others has not been forgiven in you. This is probably the same wisdom that comes out in the bottom line observation number 10 where it says, I'll never be upset about anything anybody else ever says or does or doesn't do that I think they should unless I'm still judging myself negatively for doing the same or similar thing. I will never be upset about whatever anybody else is saying or doing or not doing that I think they should unless I'm in judgment of them. And I won't ever be in judgment of them unless I'm still negatively judging myself for doing the same or similar thing. That's just the way this system works. What has not been forgiven in others has not been forgiven in you, but not by a God who sits outside of you, for he, she, it, they never judge. What you have not forgiven in another or in the world is but a reflection of what you carry within you as a burden that you cannot forgive or dismantle of yourself. A negative judgment, a negative perception that's screaming out to be dismantled. The text reads, You have an interesting saying in your world, quote, it takes one to know one, close quotes. Do you think you would even be able to judge another person if there was not something within you being elicited that triggers within you the belief that you know exactly what the other one is up to? That is why you judge them. Sometimes you judge harshly because you fear that energy in yourself. Or you remember how hurtful you have been when you've acted from that energy. But when you have forgiven yourself, rest assured, you will know what it means to walk in this world, yet not be of this world. In other words, when you have dismantled all the false perceptions about yourself, when you have dismantled the negative judgments against yourself, when you've removed the veils to seeing the shimmering radiance of the creative energy that's expressing in the world as you. And therefore, you'll see it, the truth and that shimmering radiance of energy in everyone and everything you look at. Then when that happens, you'll be able to walk in the world and not be of the world. The world is about judgment. It's about comparison. It's about perception. It's about veils, veiling, covering, blocking you from seeing the truth of the flow of life. And when that happens, you'll be able to feel the energy or the activities of any other soul as they may freely choose them. And you will discern that energy. You'll see it for what it is. And you will understand that energy 
and you will see through it, and you will still see the face of Christ in the person before you. You will not react, which literally means to act again as you did in the past. Instead, even if you're being persecuted, parentheses, or to speak from personal experience, to be nailed upon a cross, close parentheses, you will have cultivated the ability to extend love. And in all situations, no matter what another person is doing, your first response will be to enter into the quiet stillness within and merely ask the Holy Spirit, quote, what would you have me say? What is the most appropriate for this other soul in this moment? Close quotes. Please notice how often this work focuses on two things. The power of choice, which is given to you, and the idea of living in the question, of frequently asking to be taught, to be shown. Here's a question. Regardless of what's happening, no matter what another person is doing, that some part of your mind might want to judge as bad or wrong or horrible or abusive, you will enter into the quiet stillness of your own mind and ask within yourself, merely ask the Holy Spirit, quote, what would you have me say? What is most appropriate for this other soul in this moment? Close quotes. Living in that question is highly recommended. The text goes on. For when forgiveness has purified the mind and the heart and the emotional field of your own being, you will discover that you exist only to extend love. Now, in the last paragraph, I inserted the word extend in front of the word love. Here, there's no need to insert it. It's, it's correctly, I would, correctly, it's, it's all spelled out. This work understands you are this energy of love. It sometimes speaks or writes as though love is a verb, but it also speaks very clearly about how love is the energy of creation. Love is what you're made of. Love is you. And as you live, as you exist in the world, everything you do is either the direct extension of that love or acting from some kind of a judgment, some kind of a problem in perception, and therefore could be seen by anyone anyone who is clearly in touch with their own true nature, they would see it as a cry for help and healing, not something to judge. So when you get to the point where you've done this forgiveness process, where you make it be 
a part of your breathing, a part of your view of the world, that you immediately drop judgment as soon as you notice. Because it's been programmed into you, it will happen. You will judge. You know, your intellect has been programmed, and as they talk about in the second lesson, it's been um, shoved full of trivialities, like garbage in a garbage can. So it's going to resonate what's in there, and you will judge. And you also have the capacity to keep a tremendous amount of your own mind energy focused on what's happening in the field of your own mind. And as soon as you notice judgment, you have the capacity to release it. To cancel any goal and to simply extend your true nature, this essence of love. That last sentence read, for when forgiveness has purified the mind, when the removal of every false perception leaves you with direct experience of your own mind and the Christ mind and your own heart, and the emotional field of your own being, you will discover that you exist only to extend love. The text goes on and says, you are the savior of the world. In each situation, every moment of your day, your role is to ask the Holy Spirit how you can serve Serve what? Serve the atonement, the at-one-ment, the awareness that we're all connected, the correction of any judgment, of any negative thought. You can serve the healing that yet needs to be acquired within another soul. So even if somebody hates you, you will not respond with defensiveness. You can respond with curiosity, with innocent witnessing. Even if your hands have nails going through them, I tell you truthfully, it is still possible to enter the quiet sanctuary of the heart and ask of the Holy Spirit, quote, what would you have me say or do that can serve the healing of my brother or sister's heart? Close quotes. Now, this might sound like pie in the sky, this might sound impossible, but if you read enough books, if, if you go through history enough, and if you look for these, there have always been people who do this. Roger McGowan in a prison in Texas on death row for 20-some years for something he didn't commit, turns into a spiritual teacher, people abusing him on a regular basis, basis and all he does is send them blessings Nelson Mandela Mother Teresa in her role in some of the most difficult situations she could find to put herself in simply to help others there's a story about a gentleman who was in a concentration camp in Germany when they liberated the camps he looked healthy and vital so they thought he can't be like all the rest of these people that are near death and starvation. And when they debriefed him, they found out he'd been there for, I forget, the seven or 11 years. But the story was he refused to hate. 
He refused to be turned against his fellow inmates. He refused to hate the guards. He chose for love. So even in some of the most difficult situations, the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is about somebody who found this out in a concentration camp. It's possible to choose for love. In the most horrific circumstances we we've experienced or we can experience as human beings and what this work is saying is that if we engage the process of dismantling our false perceptions that will happen automatically the text finishes that section by saying all that I will be sharing with you not just in this lesson but in this course it all has as its final goal your complete Christed consciousness and the fulfillment of what your own soul desires, the dismantling of every false perception, the process of forgiveness. The fulfillment of that is that you get to see and experience yourself as your true nature. No negativity, no judgment, no distortion, just this pure, raw, direct experience of the flow of creative life energy expressing so just a quick reminder we've got about 20 minutes left the call in number is 563-999-3581 and we welcome anybody on the call to put your hand up and ask for clarification or make a statement or even a refutation of what's being offered As we're working through reading the way of mastery with commentary and in this section we're going through the the third lesson on the power of forgiveness for a second time the next section is titled forgiveness is the bridge to the soul of your brother and sister what this means essentially is I can't see and have an experience of my brother and sister or their soul directly if I'm judging, if I'm holding perceptions, if I'm holding guesses, even if I would consider them neutral or positive. If they're perceptions, they are not the direct experience. It is using mind energy and intellect to create pictures and summaries and snapshots of my brother or sister. It's not being in the moment with them. The text reads, There is nothing that you can be aware of in the energy of another that you have not known in yourself. There is nothing another can say or do or even imagine themselves capable of saying or doing that you have not also known. Again, it takes one to know one. When you perceive another acting out of hostility or fear, the only way you can recognize it is because you have been there. The very fact that in your world one can murder another's body and you can react with knowledge that that is inappropriate behavior 
is because as a soul, you know the energies involved in the attempt to murder another. If you're honest with yourself, you can probably come up with at least 50 times in the last year that murderous thoughts have entered your mind. Now, you may not act on them. You may not even dwell on them for more than a split second. And yet, the energy has come into the field of your awareness, and you have known it and recognized it. Who, then, is less than you? Who, then, is worthy of your judgment? No one. Who, then, is equal to you? Everyone. And who, then, is worthy of your love? Everyone. Forgiveness is the bridge that links you to the soul, the essence of your brother or sister. How does it do that? It removes every distorted perception, every judgment, every negativity, so that all that's left is for you to see them in their true nature, for you to experience them. have a direct living experience of them in the entirety of their energy. Forgiveness is the bridge that links you to the soul and the essence of your brother or sister. Forgiveness is that bridge that when cultivated will allow you to see clearly. You'll see not just the energies the other person is expressing, but you'll literally be able to see what events seemed to cultivate that soul's belief that they must act in a way to survive and what perceptions have led them to feel justified in their inappropriate behaviors. And you'll see it just as clearly as though someone had drawn a picture in front of you. Then you will see skillfully just what to say and what to do to gently help another person correct their own misperceptions of themselves and learn the path of self-forgiveness. In other words, the actual dismantling of their false perceptions. And when that hour comes, rest assured, you will walk in this world, yet you will not be in it. You will be as I became. You will be the savior of the world. The next section is titled, The Veil of Projection. What is projection? Projection occurs when there has first been denial within yourself. Projection is an act in which you psychically try to throw out of your ownership everything that you have judged as being despicable or unworthy of you, something you do not want. So you will project it. You will throw it up and out and let it land on your image of whoever happens to be nearby. Projection is the effect of denial, and it's the denial of the first axiom that I've given to you. What's that axiom? Quote, nothing you experience has been caused by anything outside of you, close quotes. 
So every time, each moment, each present moment where I let myself believe someone or something else is causing me to feel upset, projection is happening immediately. The moment I deny that everything I experience is caused by my choices, projection happens next in in a heartbeat, in the blink of an eye. The text goes on and says, projection is the attempt to insist that reality is other than the way the creator made it. It's an attempt to insist that you are not powerful, to insist that you are a victim of circumstances, to insist that you are in a world that can actually do things to you and cause you to make decisions that you would have not made otherwise. This is denial and it is a lie. Again, projection is the denial of the first axiom of truth. And you have mastered denial of the first axiom of truth. You and your culture, you and your family, you and your language structure have mastered it well. And when you project onto another you will then believe that your anger or your hatred is justified. In fact, the entire legal system means merely to take the act of projection and the need to judge and to make it okay socially. And once you do that, you don't need to be concerned with this other person as your brother or sister who's been crying out for help. Rather, you become justified in punishment. Yet, punishment is only the insane attempt to convince the punisher that the darkness, that the evil, whatever you want to call it, is not within them. Punishment means I get to project the cause of my upset to someone or something out there. Imagine then a society in which the prevalent legal view is simply that your brother or sister is an aspect of yourself. And if you would help yourself, you must help them. You must meet each cry for help and healing with forgiveness, love, and support. Can you even imagine even just for a moment, what it would be like to live in such a society? How different would that be from the world you see now? Well, the point is, if you would have these things be different, it must begin with you. For the way to heal the world is not by seeking change in what is on the outside but by first changing what is on the inside. When that change has occurred, you will become a conduit for an energy that knows how to use your gifts and how to place you in just the right situations. And once that happens, a great power will work effectively through you. That is the power alone that knows how to heal your world. There are many who would love to march for peace, 
by angrily attacking those who make war. And yet, if you would create peace in the world, you must be at peace within yourself. Projection is an act of trying to get rid of what you do not want to own within yourself. Projection is the effect of the denial of truth. Perception colors your brother or sister, literally paints them with the very energies that you would judge within yourself. How can you begin to break the pattern of projection? How can you allow the bridge of forgiveness to be built? It's actually quite simple, and it will require commitment, your commitment. How simple can it be? It's as simple as recognizing your own tension, your own fears, your own judgment of somebody else or your life circumstances or yourself. And as we said several times already, step into the release, the softening, the allowance, the surrender that dismantles the mental energy you're pouring into your judgment of yourself or another. That's the process that helps you remove the veils and the distortions to perception. And when those veils or distortions to perception are removed, you start to see far more clearly the truth of your life, the truth of yourself, the truth of your brother and sister. And yet, to do that with any consistency, since you're living in a culture that's been training you to judge morning to night, moment to moment, it's going to require vigilance and discipline. The text reads, I've said to you many times that the world you see is nothing more than the effect of the thoughts you've held within the mind. This is another way to say the first axiom. You only experience the effects of your choices. You choose to hold certain thoughts in your mind, your perception will be in alignment with those thoughts. The way Dr. Michael Rice talks about this is to say, your mind is an evidentiary device. And when you tell it, show me how somebody else is responsible for my anger or my fear or my sadness, that's exactly what will happen. Your mind will start to show you. No ifs, no ands, no buts, it'll start happening. You've now told your mind, the only thing you're allowed to show me is the evidence that I'm right and this other person is wrong. As an evidentiary device, your mind responds to the instructions you give it. That last sentence again was, 
I have said to you many times that the world you see, not the, not the whole world, not everything that's there, but the one that shows up in your mind, is nothing more than the effect of the thoughts you have held in the mind. Therefore, awakening requires the act of vigilance and discipline. It is the discipline to cultivate a way of living in which you observe your own thoughts, in which you listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth, in which you observe the feelings that are evoked within your body, and the reactivity that seems to own you. It doesn't own you. It just seems to. And the discipline and vigilance to see that these things with innocence are simply self-caused. You're doing it to yourself. It's perfectly okay. It's what you've been trained to do, programmed to do. It's what your intellect has learned from the culture you lived in and the language that you were taught. And it's an innocent, self-caused process. And the good news is, because it's been self-caused, it can be self-healed, self-reversed, self-canceled. The text then says, when the next time something is reflected to you by the world... And it says here that causes you to become angry. And I will, I will amend that to say the next time something is reflected to you by the world and you choose an interpretation that leads to your being angry or causes you to be in judgment, stop right where you are and look not with judgment of your judgment, but with innocence and honesty. Oh, I see that I'm judging someone. I feel this tension. My hands feel tight. My jaw feels tight. Wow, that's an interesting cloud passing through the sky of my awareness. I wonder if I might be able to make another choice. This is the vigilance. This is the consistency, the commitment that's being called for. Can we make this commitment? Are we willing? Will you put the energy it takes into watching your own thoughts, your own statements, your own actions, and recognizing that everything that leaves you feeling reactive or judgmental is self-caused, and you look at it innocently. You don't beat yourself up for it. You just acknowledge it and say, oh, look at that. Yep, I know that energy. I've done that a lot before. Area code 610, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. This is just the absolute best. It's like it. This is it. This is what we need to do. 
And I was going to say, I have gone over Erica Vega's thing she wrote. And she did that in this paper, but she didn't lose any of her own individuality in it. And I think that's one of the reasons reasons I've been holding on to my judgments is because I think it this defines who I am. And if I stop doing that, I won't have any personality. I won't have any lines of delineation. I will really will be just nothing and nowhere and melded with everybody else, which is actually probably the goal. But she, all she does is observe what she is going through, accept what she's going through, welcome it, even extend it like going through the entire birthing of a stillborn, a baby she knew was already dead because she wanted the full experience. And she, she was, in a way, free to feel joy even when she felt so terrible. I just want to say this. I hardly know what to do with this. I've sent this to, to my daughter, who will find it preachable, I'm sure, and a good friend who's going through a terrible time with a mentally ill daughter. And I imagine this will be a very big help. So that's just a statement. And then I wanted to say the word discernment belongs in here somewhere. And I imagine it when we discern, we actually have heard what love would tell us what is needed. Discernment would come at the end of that process of forgiving and canceling and seeing the other as innocent and then you'd you'd be able to discern what to do but I love that word discernment and I haven't heard it in in this reading not that it's necessary but well it it was in in today's reading already was it I didn't catch it I didn't hear it and and it says and it says when you've done this process of dismantling your false perceptions enough, mm-hmm. you'll be able to look on what another person does, even if it's something you would have normally judged as horrible or horrific. Or You can look at it and see that it's just a cry for help and, and healing and still see the face of Christ before you. Yeah, right. You'll be able that. to discern discern their energies oh. without judging them. Did you add that word, or that was in there? It's Doesn't it's matter. in the book. Okay. It's in the book. Okay. Anyway, thanks. It's in. It's in it's part like... of what we have already <laughs> today. Okay. I'm sorry, I missed it. Well. Considering what's going on in the world, this is absolutely the answer to what is needed, and we just have to start doing it ourselves, and that's all we can do, I guess. Well, and that's the point, is that it's got to happen inside you. That was another Mm. part of the reading. You can't go out and Mm. change the world. You can't go out and march for peace by being angry at the people doing war. So yeah. change the, the flow of energy inside yourself, and that's all you have control over. 
Mm. So thank you for the comments here at the end. I will mute you so you can listen to the rest of the show. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Chan. Appreciate it. All right, welcome to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Monday, and it's November the 27th, 2023. And their call-in number is 563-999-3581. Press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us, and we would love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. And we hope that uh, you had an awesome weekend. While we're waiting on Michael to dial in, we uh, got to keep Aria Saturday night and last night, and we have her two more nights. Her mom and dad are are out at the farm, and uh, so we had a really good time last. And uh, she tried her best to talk me into that she didn't have to go to school today, and I said, "Yeah, you do." She said, "I want another long play day because we played." for 11 hours yesterday. I mean, I was so tired. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I said, you know, we'll get the play, but I said, it won't be as long. I said, but you have to go to school. So anyway, it was easy this morning to get her up and get her dressed and feed her breakfast and, and get her going. And she is a blessing. So we'll see if Michael's having difficulty getting in or or whatnot. And if you have a question, please press one and direct the conversation of the show. You know, we're here to support you. And if, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, we'll be helping one person and there'll be two or three other people that comment, oh, that was perfect for me today. Well, if there's something that you need to work on, it'll work the same way with other people. Um, We'll be helping you process something and there'll be someone else that'll call in and say that was just what I needed to hear so you know if something's on your mind something's going on press one and and, uh, let us help you if you weren't able to be with us when we did our Thanksgiving and our gratitude on the show perhaps today you would like to uh, let us know what you're thankful for what you're grateful for you know, even the little things, I don't know if you were with us, um, I read off a whole list that I do every year of what I'm grateful for. And so maybe go back and, and listen to it and some of those things you might not have even thought of. You know, we take so much for granted. And you go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm thankful for that in my life too. There's, uh, and I may have said this before, I do a a, a walking uh, on the treadmill and then running and then walking then running and the person who is doing the coaching during the session uh, he calls it the gratitude walk and so he talks about you know what are you grateful for and so that's awesome if you're connected with me on Facebook I also every day for the day each day of November working up to Thanksgiving Day I listed something different every day that I was grateful for that day. So what are you grateful for? What's going on in your life? Nothing else that you're able to take a breath and perhaps, you know, if you're in good health, that you can walk around. Uh, There's so many people that don't have that. You know, I took uh, 
whole bunch of blankets down to the Salvation Army and with the stipulation that they give them to the homeless people that come in there, not that they put them in the Salvation Army store and resell them, you know, that I wanted them to go to people who needed them. And Aria was like, why did we have so many blankets here anyway? And I explained to her that used to there were seven of us lived in this house. That's <laughs> a lot of people in this small house. But anyway, that, uh, you know, with seven beds that we had, we didn't have really good heat here. So um, there were at least two blankets on every bed. And so anyway, perhaps you've got excess blankets or scarves or gloves that, you can take and donate out. I don't know about there, but here it's going to get down to 18 degrees tomorrow night. And so it's getting really cold weather. And to think of being out on the street in that kind of weather is just unfathomable. So perhaps, you know, you can be grateful that you have excess and that you can give something away that would be a blessing to someone else. And Michael has joined us, so I'm going to turn it over to him. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted and honored that you're here. You're talking about blankets and such and uh, heating in a house. I was working with a client a few weeks back, and uh, one of her most painful memories was remembering how her children when she would put them to bed, they could see their breath. That they kind of lived here in Backwoods, Tennessee, and wasn't much money, I guess. And they lived in a house where little kids going to bed could see their breath. Which just is unimaginable to me, but definitely there are lots of things for us to appreciate. And joining you, sweetie, in appreciation for all that we. Uh, we have, and in particular, I'm deeply appreciative for the teachings we've been given and what we get to do in the world. So, welcome to everyone. Glad you're here. You know, something that I didn't mention last week, and I should have, because it's actually been available for a week, if... Uh, Anyone is interested, Allison had a Thanksgiving sale on, which actually goes through tonight. And they've never had their machine on at this price before. But there's a new level of technology called the XL, which has a new brushless motor, which is rated about three times as long as the old motor. It has a touchscreen um, control panel rather than mechanical buttons. It has a larger hand opening. And where the regular home unit used to sell for 4000 it now sells for 3495 And the new generation of technology sells for 4000 And... What they're offering is buy the XL machine, which is $4,000, and get a free Home 100 unit, which is something that sells for $34.95. So it essentially cuts the price in half. 
And so if anybody's interested or you've got somebody that would connect with you on doing that, and or if there's anyone who's interested in <coughs> getting machine now that it's down to this price, we would be happy to work with you and we'd take one of the machines and you could have the other at the reduced price. You know, if someone has a larger hand, you know, it's designed the Home 100 unit, I believe the number is about 94% of hands in the United States will fit into the Home 100. You know, if you've got a, a uh, an NFL football player, <laughs> chances are their hand might not fit in the 100 machine, but 99.9% .9 of hands fit into the new XL Generate Gen 3 technology. The Home 100 is Gen 2 technology and has a smaller opening. And so that machine, if one buys the $4,000 unit, the $3,495 unit comes free. Again, if somebody has been thinking about getting one and would want to take either the Gen 4 techno 3 check technology or the Gen 2, uh, which is the Home 100, they're at about half price. And we would buy one of them, and you could have the other one at the half-price deal. And so if anybody's interested in doing that, drop Jeannie a note or call me. Jeannie's email is J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. And if you wanted the lesser expensive machine, then we just make that the lesser of the price, and we'd pay f more for the... Um, Excel machine, or if you wanted the Excel, we'd pay the lower price, and you could have the Excel for a little bit more. But you know, basically about half. So it's I've just never seen anything even close to that with them. So if you're interested in getting an Allison, my take is that it is the most profound adjunct to health that exists on planet Earth. It is, in my experience, after working with it for about three years literally a physical form of forgiveness. It's a class two medical device that is cleared by the FDA for arthritic pain, general pain management, and for relaxation, muscle relaxation. They're the two things that it's, pardon me, they don't say approved, they say cleared for by the FDA. Actually in Europe and Canada, it's also approved. Their language is different. It's approved for fibromyalgia pain. In fact, they did some double-blind research on it and found that it was, I forget what the number is, but a multiple times more effective than the best drug they had for pain management for people with fibromyalgia. So it's a pretty powerful little device. I've been using it now very consistently for three years. And... I have just been watching. I actually, you know, every day that uh, we do the radio show, you maybe hear this little sound. It's, I'm putting it closer to the microphone. That's a machine. Seeing as I'm sitting still, I always have my hand in the Avacyn for the hour of the radio show. And what I've found over the last three years is that I just watch symptom after symptom of what I would call aging disappearing from my structure. And that's one of the things that draws me, to, to, takes me to the conclusion that we're talking about physical forgiveness here, that when you open microcirculation, you know, people talk about circulation, but most of the conversation is about arteries and veins. And 
An artery in a vein does not deliver one drop of blood to a cell. does not deliver oxygen, enzymes, uh, nutritional components, hormones. None of that gets to the cell through the arteries or the veins directly. It has to be delivered by the artery in the vein to capillaries. Capillaries are blood vessels that are about the tenth the thickness of a hair. And when people live in a high-stress environment, when people live in hostility and fear, in overwhelm, and especially, you know, sadly today in this culture, most people live in that state chronically. There's hostility, fear, and an overload of stress. The number one thing that takes people to a doctor's office is stress. And what the Avacyn does is it warms the whole body's blood supply. About 10 minutes, it's, it's a device that's about the size of a bread box. You turn it on, you put your hand in it, and there's a little pump that creates a vacuum around your hand, which causes the blood vessels to distend and draws more blood into your hand. And at the same time, your hand is on a little heat plate that's transferring hand, blood into the palm of the hand. In the palm of the hand, there's a thing called an arterial venous anastomosis, big word, long word. And basically, that's a fancy word for a heat exchanger. You notice if you get overly heated, what happens? The palms of your hand sweat. Your body's dumping its heat through that arterial venous anastomosis. Or if you get cold, what do you do? You rub your hands together. That generates heat. And the heat is absorbed into that heat exchanger and literally is transferred to through the blood, the whole body. Well, when people are in a state of sympathetic dominance, fight, flight, fright, fear, and fawning, that state prepares the body to fight or run, which means that blood is shunted away from the unnecessary survival functions, things like higher brain function, um, blood generation, digestion, elimination, a lot of things. The blood flow is cut off. They're all come under the purview of the parasympathetic aspect of the autonomic nervous system. And none of that is needed. You know, you don't need to ovulate. You don't need to build blood cells. You don't need to eliminate if a lion is chasing you in the jungle. And that's basically where that, that uh, sympathetic dominance survival mode comes in. And it's a wonderful mechanism. But, you know, it's meant to function if the lion's chasing you and you get away. Five minutes later, you're free and, you know, the body goes back to a sympathetic, parasympathetic balance. If the lion eats you, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but most people live as though the lion's chasing. They go into the office, and there's their power person, who's their boss. And then they come home, and there's the, their power person, who's their spouse. And then there are their children, who are their unconscious minds, hanging out in true living color and Dolby sound, doing everything they never wanted to face or deal with. And so their stress goes on and on and on. And what happens is, if one enters that chronic sympathetic dominant state, that blood flow is going to the larger muscles, ready, readying someone to fight or run, and going to the lungs to enable the structure to take in more oxygen, and everything else shuts down. 
They call the parasympathetic nervous system the rest, digest, regenerate system. It's where healing and regeneration occur. It's where elimination occurs. It's where non-survival processes are carried out in the structure, including the higher functions of the brain. And so what the Avacyn does, you know, the way that the, uh, the blood is shunted to survival mode is the at the head of each capillary, depending whose numbers you take, there's somewhere between 40 and 60 billion capillaries. At the head of each capillary, there's a set of muscle fibers. It's called the capillary orifice. When one goes into sympathetic dominance, the muscle fibers at the headwaters of the power supply, the blood supply, for the parasympathetic nervous system close down so that the blood flows to survival mode which is great, but if it happens chronically, then just like uh, when, when a stream is slowed down, you know, I've got a nice, cool stream that runs by my front door. I've enjoyed going out and putting my feet in it for years, and one day a tree falls. And over time, with the tree falling, the tree being chronically there, I didn't go and cut it up. It's there for a long time. Debris comes down the, the stream. It gets caught in the branches. And, and before long, I don't have a flowing stream anymore. I've got a swamp. And if I've got a swamp, all kinds of stinky things start to grow there that don't belong in the nice, clean, clear stream. And, you know, the, the uh, creek is destroyed in terms of its original clean, clear water. Well, the same thing happens when people live in chronic sympathetic dominance. The blood flow that's cut off, just like the branches and twigs caught on the tree, cut the the river flow and create a swamp. A swamp is created within the structure. And, you know, swamp things grow there, critters that don't belong. They're called bacteria, viruses, take over and create disease conditions because there's a food supply for them. What happens when one has that warmed blood pouring over those muscle fibers and the message isn't there to keep them locked up, they're just chronically locked up because that's the habit, then those muscle fibers soften, blood flow starts to go to those places that has been cut off and all of a sudden people get smarter because they have higher brain function. Their elimination works better, their reproduction works better, their red blood cell generation works better. Everything functions on a whole different level. Detoxing, liver, all of that starts to happen. So it's a pretty profound device. And I've watched people with just so many um, different disorders. You know, I, I would venture to say that there's probably not 1% of diseases that people experience that don't involve a lack of the flow of blood. And there's certainly no pain that doesn't involve blood flow. You know, blood flow is designed to provide oxygen to the cell. If there's a 5% deprivation of oxygen to a cell, the cell goes into excruciating pain. And we've seen every kind of pain you can imagine ameliorated by the Avacyn is just amazing what it does, and it's totally natural. It's totally non-invasive. There's one body hack, and that is that the vacuum around the hand keeps the blood flow open to the hand. Otherwise, you know, I can remember when I first was introduced, you've heard Patrick, Dr. Patrick McGann speaking on the show, 
He's a friend, fellow naturopath I've known for better than a half century. And when he first told me about it, it's like, well, that sounds really good. I think I'll just get a bucket of water and put my hand in it. And then I started to do some research, and of course, if I put my hand in a bucket of warm water, yep, the heat will start to transfer my hand, and it'll be about one minute before my body says, I'm closing these blood vessels down, and I'm going to let this in. So the body hack, the genius of the Avacyn, is that they created a vacuum to keep the, the blood flow in the hand to sh- from shutting down once you start to put heat in it. And then otherwise, everything in the structure is totally and completely natural. It, it basically is enhancing the body's natural uh, recuperative and healing mechanisms. It mimics a fever. You know, it's, it's interesting that most people, oh, if you've got a fever, go get an aspirin and shut your fever down. You don't want to get an aspirin and shut your fever down. you got a fever for a reason. Your body's trying to burn something off. It's a natural mechanism for healing. In fact, you know, in some arenas of medicine, they charge hundreds of thousands of dollars to heat the body. Uh, cancer treatment. You know, cancer cells can't survive above a certain temperature. Cancer cells can't survive where there's oxygen. If there's a lack of oxygen flow, then a cancer cell can develop. There's actually a physician named Dr. Otto Warburg. Back in the 1930s in Germany, he was doing research with cancer, and he showed that he could deprive cells of oxygen, and they would become cancerous, and he could restore the oxygen flow, and the cancer cell would transfer or convert back to a healthy cell. Oxygen is a really key part of the whole process. That's why just, you know, a 5% lack of oxygen and the body starts to scream and holler and say, ouch, this hurts, pain. It's a warning signal that something's going on and something needs to be done about it. So what happens is the, the blood that flows into the palm of your hand is heated, and once it leaves your hand, it takes about three minutes for it to circulate into the body and come back again. You get three rounds of that, and all of the blood in your whole body, so you're getting a whole body treatment, the brain, the lungs, the liver, heart, feet, everything. So once that one-degree raise in temperature happens, warm blood is being poured over those billions of muscle fibers, and the capillary orifice opens and allows blood in where perhaps it hasn't been seen since the stress started that was never dealt with. And that restoration is a natural pain reliever. That's one of the things, as I say, it's approved for by the FDA, or pardon me, cleared for by the FDA. And um, muscle relaxation, because those, you know, you think about somebody who's uptight and what, what happens. Everything's locked up. That's the muscle fibers, especially on the capillaries, closing down because fear gives a signal that we need to cut blood flow to these parts so we can supply it to the large muscles in the arms and also in case we get injured cut the blood flow off so we don't bleed to death you know dangerous situations so it's a great survival mechanism and it's meant to to operate for the minute or two or three that a survival is needed and then it's meant to shut down anyway it's a pretty amazing mechanism pretty amazing device and if you have any questions i'm delighted to answer them and or if you're interested in getting a machine and either have someone you can cooperate and buy a package with or we'll buy a package with you and give you the um, benefit of that discount. So, so Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody out there in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? 
it is all quiet. We've got a lot of people on the switchboard today. But well, the only hand on, up is Susan, but it was it was left over from talking with Dr. Tim, I'm sure. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, anything on your mind? No, I think while I was waiting on you to get on, I shared, you know, the blessing we've had with Aria for the last few days. And, and mm-hmm. We are blessed. Yeah. We had a conversation while she was eating breakfast, and she was wanting to know why her mommy and daddy were staying at the farm so long. And I told her, you know, that even though it was our farm, that there were still just certain days that they were allowed to hunt. Otherwise, they would get a fine. And she wanted to know what a fine was. And so I told her, and she goes, well, that would be okay to give them money just because you did something you weren't supposed to. And I said, well, no, especially here at Christmas, you don't want them to give the money. And she says, we don't use money. We give them a card, and then they give us the card back. (laughs) We had a discussion of how banking works with putting your money in the bank, and you get to use a card, but it comes out of the money you have in the bank. So she just sat there and absorbed it all at five years old or five years young. (laughs) Yeah, she's pretty amazing, the questions he asks. Well, forgive us. Such a an awesome piece of technology. And the wisdom that comes out of proper translation of the Aramaic language, the original language in which this teaching was delivered. The genius that's there, the insight that's there, the work that it takes to truly return to functioning as a human being. And that when we lose our status as a human being, it begins, it starts with the training that this culture has become expert at delivering to children, and that is that whatever is going on in their lives is somebody else's fault. So if you live in a mind that when there is disturbance or upset in that mind, You walk away from that disturbance thinking or speaking about the other person involved, then you're a card-carrying member of the One World Universal Religion of Blame. And what we're inviting people to do is to leave that religion and step into a world of responsibility. You know, it's interesting. Einstein says, the theory you have about a thing determines what you can observe. What he was talking about with that statement was what we call the evidential nature of the human mind. If I'm totally clear that every time I'm in upset or disturbance, it's all somebody else's fault, the theory I have about this thing is when I'm in disturbance, my mind shows me that somebody else is the problem. So now the only thing my mind can make up, the only construct my mind is capable of when that's my theory 
is I will find evidence to prove that somebody else is the problem in my life. And, of course, you've heard me say it many, many times. If I went through a particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, sooner or later I have to start to notice that I'm the only one that was there every time it happened. And when I wake up to that, then I change my theory. And no longer is my theory, if I'm in pain, somebody else is the problem in my life. My theory becomes, oh, if I'm in pain, then there's something going on inside of me that I need to become aware of. And seeing as how my structure is responding with pain, then whatever that something is that I'm engaging in is toxic to my structure. So my structure, by signaling with pain, is rejecting what it is that I'm doing. When I shift over to that theory of life, then when I'm in pain, I've given my mind permission to show me that I'm involved in my life and that it isn't all about somebody else. So I get new evidence. You know, we, we refer oftentimes to the Harvard research that was done back in the 50s. It's the most quoted research in psychological history. Nobody's ever disproven it. It's still rocking on and out there and big time in the world. And that is that in a time frame, you know, they've got somebody in the lab and they've got them hooked up to electrodes and they're measuring brain cell firings. And in a time frame where they could measure approximately 10,000 brain cells firing within the head, they've got electrodes hooked up, the max amount of data that could fit into conscious awareness was nine bits of data out of that 10,000 brain cells firing. Now, if you recognize that there are 10,000 units of electrical activity, each of them representing different information, but you only get to use nine of them at any time, obviously, one, something has to tell the mind which nine bits to use. That's the theory you have about the thing and the goals you have for whatever is happening in your life. And your mind serves up evidence. Nine bits of data out of 10,000 brain cells firing is nothing but evidence. Now, we've determined or discovered that there is a, an indicator when the mind is using false data to build its reality. And that is that there's some form of hostility or fear moving within that individual. So if there's hostility or fear moving in you, then your mind is using corrupt data to build your perception of the event that's going on at the moment. And hostility or fear generally means that I'm blaming someone else for what's going on inside of me. So the theory I have about who's to blame gets carried out in my evidential mind. Again, nine bits of data is just evidence. It's not facts. And so if I'm in pain and my evidential mind is showing me that the problem is someone else, it's time for me to get to work collapsing the construct of my mind, the perceptual construct. And when I collapse that perceptual construct that's based in the operative theory of blame, I get an opportunity to start to directly see what's going on inside my mind instead of filtering it through a mechanism that denies access to the truth. 
So if I'm in pain and I'm thinking and speaking about someone else, then I'm buying into the evidence of a lie and it's time for me to collapse that perception, that construct in my mind. And as far as I know on planet Earth, the mechanism for collapsing false perceptions has been unknown or at least unpublicized for at least 2,000 years because we have to go all the way back to the first century Aramaic language to understand what forgiveness is, how it works, and what it does. Actually, it is laid out precisely the same way in the current Course in Miracles as it was in the original Aramaic. But, and I had worked with the Course for years by the time I started to understand this, and I, I had read it in the Course, but I never recognized it for what it was. And, you know, I've done presentations on Course in Miracles for, you know, getting on close to 50 years now all over the globe to many, many, many different audiences. I've listened to many people speak about the Course, but I've never met one person working with the Course of Miracles that recognizes how forgiveness is done. It's generally talked about this thing that I do about letting you off the hook, which is absolutely, totally, and completely 180 degrees out of phase with the ancient teachings of the Aramaic uh, work in in forgiveness, as well as with the Course. Even though it's there in black and white, but until I had the brain cells, the eyes to see and the ears to hear, you know, you remember you go back and you hear Yeshua saying, his work is only for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. I think we're fairly safe in assuming that most everybody in his audience had what we call eyes and ears. So he wasn't talking about that. He was saying you have to have the brain cells. And until one has the brain cells, it can be right there in front of them and mean nothing. And and I'm saying that it was right there in front of me, but it meant nothing until I built the brain cells and understood it from the Aramaic. So if you're working with the Course in Miracles and you want to find the definition of forgiveness, go to lesson... Hmm, 345, I think it is. Paragraph 7 or 8. And here's where the Course specifically defines how to forgive. Now, again, in all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people I've interacted with on the Course, I've never found anybody that knew what this passage meant or that knows how to forgive. I, just have never, I mean, everybody's talking about forgive, 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 but most people are still doing the Greek, oh, I, I'm going to let you off the hook. Yeah, I'll let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. If I let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me, does that change anything that's happening inside of me? If I shake your hand and say, I forgive you, does that change what's moving in my mind, in my physiology? 
If I stood out my front door and I had seven and a half billion people in the world walk by my door and I shook every person's hand and said, I forgive you, 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 I let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me. Is that going to change what's happening inside of me? No. In Aramaic, the word forgive means is shebag or shabak, and it means to cancel, to let loose, or to untie. What is it that needs to be let loose? Well, you'll notice that unless you're a generally miserable person, you're pretty happy with everybody in your life. Unless they're not fulfilling a goal you hold for them. Notice that you're upset. Again, unless you're just a generally miserable person, your upset, your anger, your fear, your criticism, whatever it is, only comes up when someone's violating a goal that you hold for them. Knowing that piece of information is a piece of gold because it opens the gateway to forgiveness. So again, in that paragraph, again, I think it's Lesson 345, paragraph no, 7 or paragraph 8. 164. Say again, sweetie. It's 164. Um, 164, and it's number 8. Paragraph 8. So here's what it says. Let go all the things you think you want. How does that translate from the Aramaic? Cancel the goal for what it is that you want. So let go all the things you want, comma, your trifling treasure put away. Now, what the Course is saying in that simple statement is, whatever you think you want besides the recovery of your human life and functioning as love is baloney. It's fake. It's a waste of time. It's a trifling treasure. So let go all the things you think you want. Your trifling treasure put away. Leave a clean and open space within your mind. So when I recognize that there are 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity moving in my brain, and I only get to see a max of nine bits of data, the thing that determines which nine bits my mind is going to use is the goal that I hold. So the goal is the driver for my perception. And if my perception is based in pain, if you resonate something in me that I haven't dealt with, and I have a goal for you to do it differently, then that goal is going to cause my mind to use the data in my mind that's based in corruption and my pain to build my brain's image of you. So now I build a false picture of you as the problem in my life. But of course, if I can sooner or later admit to myself, gee, I've been through this painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, and I'm the only one that's been there every time, maybe this is about me. So when I cancel the goal, that is I put away my trifling treasure, let go all the things you think you want according to the Course, your trifling treasure put away, the space of the nine-bit mind, conscious awareness, is left clean and open. And when it is, an active love comes to your mind while you have caused it to 
collapse into the underlying hidden energy that's causing your pain. So when I live in the theory that everybody else is the problem in my life, when I have a goal for someone and pain comes up, I use my unconscious pain to build my brain's image of them, and I'm the one that's in the need of healing. So when I cancel the goal, the projection that it's about you collapses, and I get to drop into the root of my pain. And when I do, and my conscious mind, the space of my conscious mind is open, then the unconscious data and dynamic that I've been hiding for myself, there's now room for it to come to conscious awareness. And you'll notice in the step before you cancel the goal in the worksheet, in step four, what you do is you focus in and you bring the presence of love into your physiology. So if you've identified the goal you hold for whoever you're blaming, and it could be yourself, and you cancel that goal, then the blame construct in your mind collapses, and it collapses in on itself. Now, think about the 9-11 towers when they went down. Dozens and dozens of stories just fell free-fall speed into their own footprint. When your perception is pained, and you're believing the picture in your mind generated by your denial, by your pretense that somebody else is the problem in your life, then your mind uses its unconscious pain to build its brain's image of whoever it's blaming. When I can collapse that, again, just like the 9-11 towers went down, my perception collapses into its own footprint. And now, if I'm willing to listen, I have access to the hidden part of my own mind, my own unconscious. And when I gain access to my own unconscious, I have the opportunity to change its content while I'm projecting it. Well, I'm pretending that it's somebody else's fault and I'm using that pain data to build my brain's image of them so they show up in my mind with my problem attached, I have no access. I'm, I'm in direct, pardon me, I have di- indirect access to what I need to heal, but it's projected into my brain's image of someone else, so I hold the belief that it's theirs. By letting go all the things I think I want, my trifling treasure, my goal canceled, I leave a clean and open space, and now that hidden data that's at the root of my pain can come forward in the presence of active love, and when it does, the pain is dissolved. That's all. I'm finished with it. And that's the how of what happens in the forgiveness process. That four-minute explanation took me 35 years working with the Aramaic full-time to learn and to understand how to explain, how to make sense of it. I'm telling you that for the first 35 years I taught this work, and, you know, you might have been there, you might have been part of it, and you might have said to yourself, why is this guy, this is really stupid, why is this guy telling me to cancel my goal, my perfectly good, wonderful goal here? That just doesn't make any sense. 
Well, he's suggesting that if you're in pain and you locate the goal you hold for whoever the object of attention is in your life, then you'll collapse the projection that it's about somebody else. And when that I'm thinking, thinking of the word to use. That tarnish that I put on the glass of perception is wiped out when I cancel the goal. That, you know, you remember Paul said we see as though through a glass darkly. Rather than our perception coming through our hostility and fear through our pain, when I can collapse that and bring that underlying dynamic forward in the presence of active love, then the dissolution of my pain starts to happen. And when I'm freed of perception that has me, or pardon me, when I'm free of the realities, the constructs of my mind, that have as their purpose proof that my theory is true, it's all your fault, and I can change that and go, well, maybe I'm involved in my life, then I get to start to look at the parts of my mind that I've perhaps hidden from myself all my life, (coughs) and perhaps it's a genetic inherited issue that my whole bloodline has hidden from them for generations and generations and generations. So the genius of canceling a goal to collapse perception and having access to the underlying dynamics of perception where the dis-ease processes are is a monumental insight into human psychology. And there's only one place, well, there are two places you'll find it. Both teachings come from the same man. One is in the first century Aramaic language 2,000 years ago. And I feel so blessed to having been introduced to that idea. Now open my eyes here and I have a picture at the end of my bed actually of uh, in, in our room of a gentleman named Dan McDougald who's was my partner in the Kabor's Manuscript Project. And he's the one that first enlightened me to the fact that the word forgiveness in Aramaic is shebag, and it means to cancel. And uh, you'll find it in the Course, but you won't find it anywhere else in the world that I know of. You know, if you look at the Buddhist tradition, now the Buddhist tradition is very powerful, and it says let go of attachments. And I can say I let go of the attachment to this, and I let go of the attachment to that, and I let, but it doesn't have the practice of canceling the goal that creates the attachment. Actually, Jeannie and I were on the road back, oh, probably 15 years ago now. And there was a gentleman who was a, a, a man they called Kempo. He was considered to be, he had been researched in the Tibetan tradition and verified as the reincarnation of of the Buddha of Wisdom. And he was in California and he had gone, he had been ill and he'd gone to a healing center and they had some of my videos and he watched them and he actually stayed at the center. He wouldn't leave until he'd gone through all of my videos. We just happened to be traveling in California and driving within about three hours of his center 
when we got a message from one of our students who was at his center that said, hey, my Buddhist teacher would like to meet you. He saw some of your video work and wants to know what you're doing. So we were about three hours away from that center and happened to have a couple of days off. We were heading for, if I remember correctly, I think we were heading for Seattle, coming up from Southern California. And we ended up teaching at his center. We ended up teaching at two different, in two different cities where he had study groups with his work. And he was just blown away with the canceling of the gold. He said, you know, when we were back in Tibet, our tradition has nothing like this. Yes, we have the letting go of attachments, but to use this as a mechanism for doing it, he said, we just don't have it. And he said, and when we were in Tibet, we didn't need it. But now that we're here with this Western influence, this is something we need. And we had an open invitation to go and teach at his center anytime. So whatever's going on in your world, if you're in a disturbed state, take a look and identify specifically and precisely the goal that you hold. Now, it has to be the appropriate goal for the circumstance, the one that is really key for you, and it, it takes some time to develop the, the skill of tapping into what's the really important, what's the real key goal here. You know, if, if let's say I've got somebody who owes me $100, and I'm an upset about it, so I want to do a worksheet. Now, I could say my goal is for them to pay me the $100, but that might not be my goal at all. Yes, I want them to pay me the $100, but the real goal that is triggering or resonating my pain into activity might be the fact that I want this person to honor me. So that might be the goal. The goal might be, you know, they are a friend, and my friend has betrayed me. The goal might be in that situation, same circumstances, but the goal might be for my friend to honor me. The goal might be for my friend to be honest. Each of those is a different goal, and when you tweak your goal and you cancel the actual goal that's running your perception at any given moment, then when you cancel the goal, what happens is your perception, that construct of your mind collapses, and when it collapses, it collapses in on itself. When you put your trifling treasure away, you leave the conscious mind free of data. And having collapsed that perceptual construct into its original pain, there's room for that original pain to come forward, to come to awareness in the presence of love and be dissolved. And the last analysis, that's how forgiveness works. I, I am so appreciative of the genius of this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago to have understood that and given that to the world. such a profound piece of information and it only took me 35 years working full-time with the first century Aramaic language of Yeshua to understand that to explain what I've just explained in the last 10 minutes it took me 35 years to learn
So I understand why people working with the course, I don't see anybody who has a clue that forgiveness is about canceling your goal. But Michael, I have this perfectly good and wonderful goal. Why would I cancel it? Because every time you load it in your mind, even though it's a good and wonderful goal, every time you load it in your mind, it causes your mind to use corrupt data based in your unresolved issues and your unresolved pain to build your projection that your pain is caused by someone else. And so when you cancel that projection, you get to drop into the part of your mind that needs to be healed. And there's nothing more exciting than watching that happen. It is so profoundly powerful. And, you know, I've been doing worksheets with people for over four decades, and it always still amazes me. At the moment when someone cancels that goal, what pops into conscious awareness, what comes to mind, what they've got the opportunity to deal with, it always just boggles my mind (laughs) how powerfully the process works. And how quickly really bizarre and insane circumstances in someone's life can be totally and completely turned around. Recognizing that we are creators and that it's out of the mind energy that we hold, what's active and moving in us is really important. And if what's active and moving in us is hidden from us by our own perception, then we're engaging in an unconscious creative process. You know, one of the workshops on the way to healing is called On Creating Consciously. It's about how we create what happens in our lives. And if you listen to the average psychologist, they'll tell you that 90 to 95, perhaps even as much as 98% of the thoughts in our minds are unconscious. Well, if 98% of your energy is unconscious, then you are unconsciously creating what is happening in your life, and that means that you're stuck in a pattern, and you've probably repeated the title of my book more than once. Why is this happening to me again? Or maybe you've phrased it as, why are they doing this to me again? Or, Or even, why am I doing this to myself again? And, of course, the subtitle of the book is What You Can Do About It. You can go to the underlying hidden mind energy, and you can bring it to conscious awareness. Not if the 9-bit mind is full, you can't. But when you collapse what's in the 9-bit mind, then that other data can come to conscious awareness, and then you have the opportunity to change those dynamics within your mind. It's a pretty exciting process. And we're down to about the last five minutes. Gee, I didn't realize we'd move so fast. Do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room, sweetie? Um, no, but I'll share that yesterday, you know, Ari and I, like I said, we played for like 10, 11, 12 hours. I don't remember how long it was. But um, one of the games was she has three dogs that she brought with her. And we pretended to go shopping and... Um, one of them's toy wasn't working. And so she had to call the shop, of course all this is pretend, to come and get the toy and take it back. And they gave her a refund. Well, um, 
Aria was pretending to be the mom, and she told me to babysit the girls while she went to the store to get a different toy. And she said, you help her to get over her upset. And so I sat there with the doll, and I was like, okay, so your goal is you wanted that toy to work. (laughs) Yeah, it was perfect. And, of course, Aria is listening full force. And uh, so I'm talking to the doll, and I said, okay, so your goal was you wanted that toy to work. And so you think you're upset because of that, but you're not. And you need to cancel the goal for the toy to work. And then you can feel better and you can see you've got so much other toys and things here that that one isn't what makes you happy or sad. And so cancel your goal for that and get reconnected to the love that you are. And so when Aria came back into the, I mean, she was still in the same room with me, but she came back in and she said, well, she's feeling some better, but she's still a little bit sad. And I said, well, then we need to work on it a little more. But anyway, she sat there and listened to the whole thing, walking the doll through the forgiveness process. So, you know, it can be done um, very easily, you know, even with children to teach them to let go of, of whatever it is they think they want. And then they can let go of that stress and then they can feel better. And so that was pretty cute, I thought. Wouldn't it have been nice at the age of five if we'd had parents who could have taught us that? Like, what a lifetime gift that'll keep on giving. And you had a similar conversation with her the other day when she she had gotten grounded um, by her mom and dad. And uh, her grounding is she can't play with her tablet for a day or two. And so she was saying something about, well, it was because she was bad. And so Michael was able to have a super conversation with her that she wasn't bad, that maybe she did something that her mom and dad didn't approve of, but she was love regardless, that she was not bad and not to buy into that. And so I thought that was pretty powerful too. So the last few days have been awesome just to have her here full time and go over these things with her. Yeah, it definitely gives us another level of opportunity to have these conversations in a relaxed atmosphere and to just keep helping her to build the brain cells so it just comes natural to her. She's an upset to cancel her goal and to move back to the state of love. And, you know, when she was, well, before she could talk, we would ask each other the question, you know, Nini, why are we here? And Nini would say, to be love. She'd turn to me and say, Papa, why are we here? And I'd say, to be love. And then we turn to Aria, why are we here? To be love. And so she knows that, like, deep, deep, deep down in her heart. And that's her response. And when she's not experiencing that, she's more and more getting to understand what it is that inhibits her from experiencing that and how to work through it. So delighted to be sharing it with you. Pass it on and have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world blessings. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st 
to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.